being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong i think i probably have another like probably christ circle and maybe we can touch on like the uh, the actual more out there culty stuff that happened with the animals i think it would be pretty i think we should probably talk about i think another like not fun none of this is fun but Mm -hmm. i think christ circle is actually kind of relevant to all this yeah especially what could have been happening um yeah but so that's kind of another another note i think about the saint george hotel where uh, oh uh actually before that one more note about these informants uh one one of them roger Mm -hmm. crone yeah um the one that was being sentenced for marijuana possession on the day of the, the murder he uh, was actually convicted of, of drug trafficking again uh, when he was still employed at the Catalyst in 1988. He was trafficking cocaine. So cocaine, which Victor Ota, of course, had, had a, was had a, stolen. Had cocaine. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, and another. This is it's not like a it's not necessarily an aside. It's actually just a very weird um, set of connections, I guess. But uh, Neil Cassidy was connected through the Merry Pranksters to the um, the Catalyst Club where the informants were, were discovered and where, you know, hippie children at UCSU were encouraged to come hang out. Um, mm-hmm. And Neil Cassidy was actually the close personal friend um, of another drug trafficker, uh, which I don't mean like he had some weed in his car. He was convicted for trafficking $1 million worth of marijuana <laughs> in 1974. Um, yeah, uh, he met at when, I guess Neil Cassidy was at San Quentin at some point. I don't really know that much about this, but um, he met Dr. Leon Tabori, who was conducting experiments on prisoners at San Quentin after his time at Harvard. Um, and Leon Tabori went on to open in Scotts Valley, which is just north of Felton. Um, it's also still in Santa Cruz County. Uh, it's a, it's a much richer community, a much, lot more upper class, a lot quieter. Um, and in 1967, I think, uh, Dr. Tabori decided to leave San Quentin and his prisoner experiments. And he opened up the barn, which was the second most popular countercultural club in Santa Cruz. Um, and he ran it from 1968 until 1974 when, uh, the zoning board of Scotts Valley, uh, his, his permit was for like a restaurant and they were like what the hell is that can you leave like get out um yeah so he was friends with the people who ran hip pocket bookstore in the catalyst uh they're actually his memoirs are on the website of uh, hip santa cruz which is about the history of hip pocket bookstore if anyone wants to look that up um none of this is dissuading me from my initial dislike of the beat literary scene like this is only confirming for me my general distaste <laughs> Yeah, I, it's so, you know, Nambla and mm-hmm. everything. I mean, uh, to me, it's like there, this is insane. This is a direct connection between where the serial killer epidemic started, the two spookiest psychiatrists in the world, the, the freaking beat poets, mm-hmm. and like experimental psychiatry on prisoners. And he ran a, a music venue that was right next to where all this happened. And it was one of two music venues. Um, and to me, like the entire, it doesn't just seem like it just, it almost seems like they, they kind of like orchestrated a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems very like, like it happened in sequence almost. Yeah, no. And all, of course, obviously the old money is right there. They're like, not even like up in the Hills or something. They are like next door to all of oh, the yeah, other stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, the boardwalk, you know, as we, as we talked about the, the favorite of um, Robert Anton Wilson, mm-hmm. the boardwalk family, they're not only incredibly rich, but um, they're, they're directly connected to also UCSC because George H. Cardiff, um, he was the chairman of what was called, and still is called actually, the S.H. Cowell Foundation. Uh, and this is the foundation that sold the land, uh, Cowell Ranch, to uh, UCSC um, when the Board of Regents selected the site. He, w- he was married to um, the sister of the owner of the boardwalk. He was, he was his brother-in-law and they uh, went on hunting trips together and did a lot of stuff like that. And of course the S.H. Cowell Foundation, I guess to return to the Beats, um, they opened, uh, they gifted the money to open the very first cooperative at a California university. Um, this was in Berkeley. Uh, it was the very first cooperative designed to be a cooperative uh, for that purpose. And it ended up, uh, almost getting shut down due to the amount of heroin that was that was coming through um and is still regarded as like a bastion of like the hippie culture that descended from the beats and Listen, that was also SH it's Cowell. called mutual aid <laughs> mutually aiding my friends bunch of heroin from the cia <laughs> and then this is like another tangent but the sh Powell foundation which again did all these like hippie co-ops and ucsc and was friends with the was brother-in-law of the boardwalk all this uh their their current chairman uh max talen uh founded his own law firm and was a member of uh an offshoot of the bohemian club called the family um that is even more secretive and meets even closer to santa cruz and uh yeah uh william hearst was in that one. Oh yeah oh yeah so, i think it all comes back to the hearst that's my like well, yeah, I mean, like, I've heard rumors of wild stuff with the Hearsts. Like, obviously, there's the public stuff, too. But um, was the Bohemian Club the, like, base club for what is Bohemian Grove? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and the Hearsts were, like, a member of that really early on, I think, before it became all, like, international yeah yeah actually i i guess the foremost author on the bohemian grove is actually william domhoff who um is the founding member of ucsc psychology so um what did he what did he have to say about bohemian grove um he is he's the author of who rules america that was 67 right after his hiring at the at the university um and it's i mean it's a it's a good book it's it's uh about excuse me um it's like a a brand of left thinking that is i think it's very deliberately not marxist um especially Mm -hmm. he wrote a book about the history of santa cruz which like rejects marxism explicitly yeah Um, like i didn't i haven't read the book but like i was like what's wrong with c Wright mill like why do we need (laughs) another book of this basically i know yeah uh yeah but his his theory is kind of like it's it's a diffuse theory, I guess, of why conspiratorial stuff kind of happens. Uh, even on his website, he is like, people who think that JFK was killed through deliberate action and uh, other really out there conspiracy theories, um, what they're missing is that people who have a lot of money and are, you know, members of the bourgeoisie that, that own capital, that own all this stuff, they tend to hang out with each other. They intermarry, they hang in, out in the same gyms and stuff like that. And they form what constitutes the, the power elite. Um, and they... <laughs> don't like in the bohemian club book for instance he's like i got the membership roster and i asked them about what happens at the bohemian grove and they say they don't plan anything they never they're just there to party and you know uh get called 
homophobic slurs by Richard Nixon and stuff like that. And they're not planning anything. They're just hanging out. And that's why it appears conspiratorial stuff occurs because they hang out with each other, not because they plan it while they're hanging out. And that's his main sociological theory in addition to what he does as a psychologist. Case closed. <laughs> we figured it out. Program to Back chill. It up. <laughs> <laughs> End the podcast now. Trust anger. me, guys. It's fine. <laughs> Which, I don't know. Given everything else we've discussed today, the fact that he was... I mean, he's a smart guy. He actually taught my favorite high school teacher. I mean, you know, whatever. But it's a very weirdly positioned theory that they're just besties. And when they're doing bestie things, they never <laughs> say, would you like to make a lot more money than we're currently making? <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. That's good okay. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, can we talk about now maybe the the weirder stuff uh a little more out there stuff uh, for a little bit <laughs> i Abs- don't know absolutely but i was just like wait what's weirder than what we've just oh, been talking about <laughs> for hours um i was gonna you know you actually I think you asked me about this nobody noticed this thread when i first wrote it and i was super like whatever which, you guys don't care yeah, about my insights <laughs> uh <laughs> uh i was gonna talk about so uh you see well, okay by the way by the yeah. way for years people will see that thread like it's not just right away like people will look back on it and be like what the fuck so mm. that's actually what happened yeah i when i found out uh about danny sheehan relocating to santa cruz danny sheehan actually his his current office is right next to the church where uh david marlowe peter chang and dr oda all attended um <laughs> what uh what denomination uh it's first congregational i think it's it's that one that's like weirdly progressive oh fuck i don't know wait let me one second peace united church as a as a uh member of a fringe protestant group i'm always <laughs> curious to get the dirt on other denominations oh yeah <laughs> um peace united church of christ i know it's not on their website let me just like whatever once again uh i thought it was a weird somewhat weird congregation um you know santa cruz actually has a pretty interesting history of persecution of the uh uh abrahamic faith community i guess oh okay wait ucc commitment united church of christ first congregational church united church of christ in- Okay, United Church of Christ, a historic and daring denomination committed to diversity, peacemaking, and a courageous prophetic spirit. Which, sorry, which denomination? United Church of Christ. Hmm. UCC.org. Who are, who we are, what we believe. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so they are sort of tied to Congregational, Calvinist, Lutheran, and Anabaptist. Okay, but it goes back to the Pilgrims and the Puritans. So that's some old, old stuff. Yeah. Oh, you okay? I'm gonna post this with the episode, but you have to see the logo for the United Church of Christ. Oh my God! Wait, let me. It's just like on Wikipedia, like United Church of Christ. Like that looks like a freaking rune or something. What is that? That looks like a enochian magic thing i don't like that you know what i know something 
this is like, like one thing I, I didn't touch on. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the other cults that were in this county at, at some point, but to go back to David Marlowe, just mm-hmm. whatever. There's not, it never ends with this man. Um, he <laughs> actually was also the victim of a family elimination, um, which is how we know he went to the church at, at, 900, at 900 High Street that was UCC, I guess, United Church of Christ. Um, we know that because in 1971, um, or was it 1973? It was before Mullen, but after Fraser. Um, his wife was killed when he, their four, I think four kids, they had like three, they had some amount of children and his wife was in the car and he was in the car and a uh, falling boulder crushed their camper van and, and the wife passed away. What? Yeah, that, right this before is Mullen. Like an inordinate amount of families being wiped out in Santa Cruz. Like what the hell? to me it's like that happens right before he does it again there's all this testimony stuff again i mean really like that's just like it, it makes you think that either someone was trying to discipline i don't know like maybe i'm insane but that's weird you know well yeah because it's like are like are factions fighting or like are these guys just like yeah i don't like the vibes in my family i'm just gonna <laughs> like everybody oh, knew no. that it's a family it's not like random that it's a family that the, you know the entire van uh, it's so coincidental that the whole family piles into the, the van that people would knew, know that he drove and they're like well okay boulder time you know that's so weird <laughs> yeah it's not normal um okay so david marlowe and anyway so Dan- danny sheehan who mm-hmm. i don't even like we can't even do this we can't do romero institute no Just Google it and uh-uh. try um, like i and partially because I don't feel like I even have a grasp on it. Like, I couldn't do it if I wanted to. It's just too weird. I don't, like, I haven't cracked, you know, like, on a certain topic, you feel like you do some research and you either crack it or you're just like, I, there's, I, I didn't solve this. I don't know what's going on. At least you feel like maybe at some point you can talk about it. But fuck, I mean, I can't, I don't know. What was, what is he doing? Why is he still doing it? Uh <laughs> yeah daniel yeah actually um i'm friends with his social media coordinator she's a nice gal (laughs) they they still do really like honestly the internships at romero were good you you just get connections to environmental law they give you a lot of experience doing environmental law i've met daniel sheehan and he's like a nice dude you just go into his office and it's like there's like law books and then alien truth i think that he's been psyop and he has no fucking clue i think him I think either Sarfati and Striber have psyop the shit out of this guy, or he, like they've all been psyop together. Well, because like it's funny because like you remember I did that Ellen Moore episode with Doctor Pig Bodine or CJ, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> and so we talked about the Alan Moore comic. It was like one one uh, like edition that talked about like some of the like i think iran contra stuff i read it i don't remember most of it but like all of the citations were from the like danny sheehan like romero like all that christic stuff fuck that's so weird and like the clinton like ngo wing is like super tied in with them too like Mm -hmm. i think that they give them money and stuff like it's interesting yeah he got he got sued by those journalists he was representing during Iran Contra because he did such a bad fucking job of being a lawyer. <laughs> did you know that he defended? Uh, I think it was it the Church of 
Yeah, he defended the Church of Scientology after the FBI did a drug raid on them in 1977. <laughs> that was his yeah, first job. That does not strike me as a non-asset type of thing you would do. I you're just out of law Parsons. school and you're just like, <laughs> hey, uh, first job. <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait to my my new apartment. Oh my god. Yeah, I bet he knew Jack Parsons. I thought that they were friends. I don't really have any proof of that, but I think it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, that was on the same uh, area of Santa Cruz, which is also next to the campus on High Street. So anyway, no. Okay. Like I said, I don't know anything. about. I don't even know what he, what is his deal? I don't think he knows what's going on, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that like with the Stryber group, I think that they, they'll never know. They've been computer voiced in their head too hard. Honestly, like the more I get into this stuff, the more I realize that like we like as outside observers legitimately sometimes know more than the people actually doing shit like sometimes they're That's like yeah. they might know what they did but they don't necessarily know what the their associates are even doing much less what like how it plugs into everything not to say that like oh you know we know more blah 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 but like no. they like a lot of people don't really even know the entire system that <laughs> they're connected to it's very wild it's almost sad i think especially like people like that i think that they're they're almost so important like they're not important but went through such stuff that was so convincing and almost traumatizing that of course I, like personally whitley striber i think he like got i think he got the early version of some of the tech that you know ends up in people that hear voices in their head before they do uh yeah. crime uh i don't know I, I just yeah you're i think you're right that they probably are so keyed in that how are they going to step outside of it and look at it from a new it's like when you're playing mm -hmm. chess and you have to like take a walk around before you make your next move. Well, I think we were going to talk about the Christ circle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was also going to say that the, it kind of makes the John Hoff hypothesis about they're just rich friends who never talk about their work. I mean, <laughs> these are people that are paid to keep secrets. I'm yeah, not, like, it's, it's their, their job. job. Get, uh, and if you don't keep secrets, your wife gets crushed by a camper van. Like, <laughs> Is it that hard? Yeah. You know? Ooh. Oh my God, you're not going to believe this, but I actually just got an email from the guy who knows Thomas Hunter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interviewing like, him for I my... heard you talking shit. <laughs> I heard you talking about my best friend. Um, <laughs> okay, anyway, yeah, so let's, I guess let's rewind. So Wait, um, he didn't say anything cool about pension, I'm assuming, right? I haven't. We're still scheduling our interview. I'll probably tweet about it when I see him because I think he was like, he tweeted that he likes this like pizza place and that they met IRL and they were like, oh my God, like you seem social. You don't seem like the type of guy that would never show his face and go on the Simpsons with a bag on your head Because <laughs> my, my thesis is not related whatsoever to any of that. Um, but, you know, it's hard not, it's hard to distinguish this stuff because it's like the same people in many ways um all right let's let me just let me just go back a little bit um okay so i think there's two things that kind of lead into this um one one of the many people that david marlowe interviewed during his career as a forensic psychologist that classic mid-career forensic psychology pivot that's one has um was that's Thomas... my next that's my next pivot by the way i think <laughs> business psychology industrial psychology <laughs> um 
Um, what is industrial cycle? You know what? Never mind. That's not a question. No, you know what? No, no. Just real quick. It's not going to be. Lyndon LaRouche, I think, was like sort of like in industrial psychology. Like he was doing that like management, like consultations, like he would be brought in, you know, Lord knows he was mainly just like strike breaking, but like <laughs> that was like the sort of cover in his like early career before he truly got his cult going. So, oh, real? oh my gosh. I mean, he wasn't like a psychologist, but like it was like management consulting. Yeah. <laughs> As one has, which I feel like that actually one of our, or one of the many people that tweet uh, that I, that we follow, I think it was either, I don't remember who you, who it was, but was talking about like, a lot of these experiments and this constellation of these type of experiments that were happening as like social technologies and like technologies of mass control. And I think that's actually super relevant to stuff mm-hmm. that was happening in Santa Cruz that maybe we we're going to talk about. Um, anyway, so yeah, David Marlowe, whatever, good for a change, happens to the best of us. Um, one of the people that he interviewed was Thomas, I think his name's Thomas Benton Wilson. I could be mixing him up with someone else, but um, I think it was, was it before or after the Chowchilla bus happen- kidnapping? Um, it was around that time. It was in the 70s. I think it was before. He kidnapped a bus of 60 Baha'i faith mem- members that were living in the Santa Cruz mountains. And he, <laughs> he drove them up to Bonnie Dune and like harassed them for two hours and then drove them back. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so funny. And David Marlowe's job was obviously to be like, he's nuts. This guy's crazy. But I think they were in Bonnie Dune doing some sort of bus hijacking. Uh, See, only in Santa Cruz could you get like a crazy... MK Ultra person to, who hijacks a bus full of Baha'i cultists. Like, <laughs> I know. And it was like, okay, so it was this, you know, kind of relatively like obscure place in Santa Cruz, Bonnie Dune, which also there's some reports that the, the Fraser murderers were, were found there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in, I think it was 1970, um, as we know, uh, Ed Kemper's mother at one point, she, employed with was she a social worker or was she a psychologist uh i think let me see so let's see here well okay here's the thing so we talked about how like mind hunter sort of like got wrong that she was she was in fact at uh university of california santa cruz Mm -hmm. and I think I'm quoting Dave McGowan citing her being a secretary Mm. at the college. And I don't know if she like later became a social worker or something. Cause I thought I had recalled something like that as well, but Mm -hmm. at one point she was a secretary. Okay. Well, I think she was involved with like the County's mental public health in some. Yeah. Yeah. There was some sort of connection. I don't recall. So she's not the only crazy bitch that was in there. Uh, in 1970, um, this guy, Arthur, Arthur J. Hempel, he, uh, this is like an insane story to me. Like only this part is crazy. Like the rest of it is also crazy, but he went to the, uh, the Bonnie Dune school board. Uh, and if I may quote, he, uh, made plans for a Bonnie Dune alcoholic and drug addiction rehabilitation center uh, revealed on Wednesday night to the Bonnie Dune school board. He was the addictive services director for Santa Cruz community mental health services. Uh, He he outlined plans for a 50 to 75 bed facility uh, to be located in Bonnie Dune. 
He said the residential treatment technique will be patterned after the family program at Mendocino and Napa State Hospitals. We're hoping to find new ways of reaching severely alienated youth. This method recommends itself for further study of applicability with the drug dependent population. Uh, Hempel called the technique a modified synanon approach of reality therapy, confrontation, and supportive techniques in which the patient's nose is rubbed in his weaknesses and he is instructed in means of turning them into strength. Patients will stay at the center for six to nine months. The Santa Cruz County Office of Education will provide classes for school-age patients. The center will provide consultation at county schools on drug use education. He also said center staff will work with law enforcement and judicial agencies. Um, he notes the center hopes to provide consultation services to the county's new rehabilitation facility in Aptos. Uh, its 15-member staff is being recruited from the program at Mendocino and Napa State Hospitals. <sighs> yeah. Now, now, like before this point, what was he? He was a psychiatric worker? Before this, um, he... He did a lot of stuff. Let me let me pull this up because his life story is um and like as you, as you're pulling this up, like this was probably the tweet or like thread where I was just like, this is some real shit. <laughs> and like I feel like you got like zero like zero likes at least initially. Like I was just like this, like what is this? I was about to um no, it was I mean, you know, like. I think unless you look at the whole picture, this whole story, it's hard for me to explain. It's, it's hard to explain who, like, it was so weird what happened and no one talks about it. Um, Cause I don't, I didn't even know what happened. The Santa Cruz public library knows it happened. It's on their website. So shout out, mm. go to your local library, I guess. I don't know. Um, okay. So this is quoting from the Sentinel again. I'm probably just, will be reading these articles out because it seems like it all happened. <laughs> and they were just talking about it. Um, the only, only information known about Hempel's early life is, Contained in a life story he wrote as part of a probationary report. It states he was born in New Jersey, raised by an unfeeling mother after the father, an immigrant from Germany, deserted the family. Hempel said the only time he tried to kiss his mother on the cheek, she called him a sex mania. Um, he took up the code of the criminal and learned its practice. The code of the criminal. <laughs> it's like, he also took up its practice. Samurai? <laughs> yeah, stealing cars, you know. Uh, okay, sorry. That's so funny. It's so stupid. Um, he couldn't get along with other criminals, and he spent a lonely time in prison. It wasn't until he was sent for psychiatric counseling in Pueblo, Colorado, that a psychiatrist broke through his defenses and began the long road of rehabilitation. <laughs> um, his probation report was submitted when Hempel had a relapse back into crime, and he wrote at the time he felt like a Jekyll and Hyde. One oh, follower no. here... <laughs> right um okay one follower uh because he later formed a cult as we'll get into says she believes it and fears that hempel's bad side the criminal hempel is running the show like i feel like this is like basically like better call Saul, where it's like yeah like you need a criminal psychologist <laughs> rather than like then i but okay this is like kind of interesting so that was his probation report in 1964 so we know he's definitely a criminal that did criminal criminal shit whether or not he was a psychologist is the goofy part um okay i'm quoting again hempel is also referred to as doctor and several other county and state department forms or state um health department forms <laughs> state department um although he never signed his name as doctor when asked about the man <laughs> matter 
Um, he stated, I do, uh, all I have to do for my PhD is my dissertation. And that is almost finished. On the <laughs> Man, you could probably ride that for years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess. Because I guess no, either no one was checking or it was something else, which maybe is more likely. Um, on the County Office of Education form, Hempel is listed. Uh, as doctor with a life credential standard college level. In a letter from Christ Circle, which was his cult's previous attorney, Michael Dunlap, Hempel is described as having a PhD in clinical psychology. Another State Department of Health document has Arthur Hempel, PhD. Um, the Sentinel has learned from the Illinois Institute of Technology that he attended the school from 1966 to 69, receiving a Master of Science degree in re Rehabilitation Counseling in 1968. Um, he attended for two additional semesters following this, but did not enroll in a doctoral program. Um, and then uh, just before, I guess, he was hired to the Santa Cruz County Mental Health Services uh, like wing as a, as a senior psychiatrist, uh, senior rehabilitation psychiatrist, which he was, he was senior. Um, he, uh, the, the, the Sentinel states, answers to such questions such as, who is Arthur J. Hempel, are hard to come by. <laughs> um, even a simple request for his age meets with the response I would rather not answer that <laughs> what, what is he freaking Billy wait what's his, what is his name oh, shoot what's that Melville like I'd prefer the, the, not to yeah Barney or no not Barney Bar Barnabas Fuck, yeah, I don't know yeah. Bartleby. he was in Bone Bartleby. yeah Barnaby um, yeah. <laughs> I would prefer not to he's very Zizek Zizek confirmed. both his origins and background before coming to Santa Cruz in the late 1960s, remains shrouded in mystery, a tantalizing question mark upon which Hempel refuses to elaborate. Um, <laughs> one bizarre and inexplicable occur occurrence has a published obituary listed Muriel Hempel as having died in Palo Alto after a short illness. She was 35 and left her sole survivor as her husband, Arthur Hempel. The county recorder for Santa Clara County in Palo Alto has confirmed, however, that there was no death certificate ever registered for Muriel Hempel, either in Palo Alto or elsewhere. Hempel, when queried on the matter in a recent exclusive interview, he said, my wife is not deceased. She is my former wife and she is still alive. She has children by her second husband and I would rather not reveal her name. Um, oh, geez. What do, what do we have, like a <laughs> Shelley Miscavige situation? <laughs> it's so insane. Um, okay, so this the article doesn't mention this, but actually before, you know, in 1969, there's a correlation he was in Palo Alto because he was teaching clinical psychology at West Valley College, the junior college in Palo Alto. Um, which is where the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology we talked about earlier would later oh, be formed. Hells uh, yeah. Yeah. And the dope bank That was the parapsychology para thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Also, uh, I forget the author of Dope Bank, actually, but. Um, it was like a, a couple of guys who worked together, I think. Some smart dudes. Well, they some say some uh, <laughs> the, the, just, just the guys writing about the British aristocracy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but they specifically cite Palo Alto as kind of like the, the Mary Prinkster and Timothy Leary, like CIA distribution center uh, headed by, by Gregory Bateson, who, of course, ended up working for mm -hmm. UCSC. Um, but it says something about, oh my God, it, it just does say something like the satanic Palo Alto. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, I mean, uh, you know, gotta, gotta hand it to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to finish this one article. Uh, Hempel's stint as a Santa Cruz County senior psychiatric worker from October 14th, 1970 through January 16th, 1971, abruptly ended when he was terminated in contrasts that he reportedly embarrassed county mental health officials. And the embarrassment, of course, is what I was talking about earlier, the uh, Synanon Rehabilitation Facility with staff from no Napa and Mendocino 
State Hospitals that was set to open was never approved by anyone on the Bonnie Doon County School Board or the County Office of Education. He didn't ask anyone about it. He just came up with the idea randomly, I guess. Um, It was the first many of his superiors had ever heard of the project along with the surprise Bonnie Doon School Board. Now, okay, yeah, he proposed this and it was running, but like, weren't they getting funds? So the uh, I don't know. The Synanon place itself in 1970, uh, it actually it, it never opened. Mm, um, a, a patch but, Adams situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, wait, okay, sorry. One article says being funded at a cost of three hundred thousand for the property and two hundred fifty thousand for operating expenses. But I think that might have just been the cost um, and not money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but eventually he would get a lot of mysterious money, which might have been what you were referring to. Yeah, because like they had like, a, well, obviously they had a cult, but like, didn't they have like an area where they were doing stuff? I thought they, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, they did. They had a, uh, they had a compound in uh, Boulder Creek, which is, <laughs> you know, the Santa Cruz Mountains, which I guess make people crazy um not only did he have a compound in the santa cruz mountains he had money that was coming from the federal government it's just that uh he had two facilities let me see if i can find what they're called um i don't have the direct name i don't think but it was two uh hair salons in san francisco uh cosmetology schools and he funded the cult that he would eventually surface with and buy a, a place for in 1977 um, with grants from the County Office of Education that he encouraged his supporters to file, saying that they were cosmetology students at these uh, uh, hair salons in San Francisco that I think were actually located in the High Ashbury. Um, and where exactly he would have gotten the idea for a scheme like this is not elaborated upon. So there's some plausible deniability there that he was that like the deniability being that like he was having his cult members lie to get these funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was getting like okay. money from the government. It's just that he was like, Oh, we were my, the government didn't, they didn't know they were just lying. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, wait. Okay. Yeah. Who pays for these residences? Uh, he stated many times that no one who works at Christ Circle receives a salary, but teachers at this school make roughly 10000 per year. Uh, this was in 1977. The checks were made out from the Western School of Beauty with Hempel signing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hempel, who professed to be from the planet Orion, also headed the Western School of Beauty Culture, the Western Academy of Cosmetology, and Temple City Beauty College. It was through these companies that he reportedly misappropriated $278,000 and $278,000 from the Office of Education of the federal government. Um, <laughs> okay. Those classic $300,000 grants that they give to cosmetology students. <laughs> okay. Like, how did he? Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. I just, how did he get the money to open these fake beauty schools or the land grants or anything? Where did he get that idea? Where? Yeah. He wasn't even a doctor. And then, so he, 
because they were in fact running like drug centers right or like uh centers to do therapy right well he never oh my god yeah so it's equivalent to a million dollars um he never opened the one that he surprised the bonnie dune uh Mm -hmm. county school board with uh in i think i was actually i said it was 1970 but it was actually 1973 um i was wrong but he actually so he's when he's talked about uh what he ended up doing in santa cruz in the mountains in 1977 was the christ circle cult um and broadly it it is talked about as like a religious cult a, a christian religious cult but it, it it turns out that it really it, it wasn't it almost was a troubled teen facility um yeah let me let me just read from the the sentinel again uh what is christ circle opinions differ greatly <laughs> It's <laughs> very passive voice. Um, to observers, the Christ Circle family is an organization akin to the Moonies with claims they use mind control and demand total obedience to their leaders' demands. Um, yeah. To others, Christ Circle offers the kind of love, affection, and teaching that can reach out and heal a sick and wounded child. While the original oh, no. 40 members... <laughs> yeah. um, the original 40 members of Christ Circle were adults, some of whom had children. The focus of the group soon settled on battered, abused, emotionally deprived, and handicapped youngsters. It's always been children, quotes Temple, because children are more open to something new. Oh, wait, sorry. That was actually Tom Roswick, an associate director of the nonprofit religious and educational group. Uh, Roswick was quoted as saying, it is easier to make a new child than a new adult. <sighs> yeah. Oh, um, there are, uh, I... Okay, that's just so on the nose. I'm saying. Um, there are also economic benefits to be gained from childcare, including child support from the state, averaging $800 a month. In addition to private school students, asked to pay $2,700 for room board and schooling. Um, he stresses the unique family-style care offered children who previously failed in foster homes, juvenile halls, and state institutions. A wholesome and healthy atmosphere for the former juvenile delinquents and foster kids uh, is fostered here, and that's why we're here. Other sources who lived at Christ Circle for up to six months deny that atmosphere is either wholesome or healthy. Several sources confirm that the children receive excellent care and attention at the commune, but what is considered Hempel's undue influence and the sheep-like attitude of family members proved deeply disquieting to those and others. Um, a political and ethical disputes. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't say it in this article, I guess, but um, there's another one that says that it wasn't like the, the kids were coming from foster homes to be at this compound in the middle of the Santa Cruz mountains and they would be like relentlessly beaten uh, by the guards and who I guess were like there. Uh, yeah. It, it, so Christ Circle press releases refer to them as young cowpokes and cowgirls to probation officers. Many of them are problem children guilty of offenses that range from rape to theft. Whatever their classification, children are the heart and soul of Christ Circle according to its founder and acting director. We allow children an opportunity to develop without laying a lot of tripe on them. However, in the view of one former resident, the leadership practices do not offer a model for children who have difficulty adjusting to life. I hated it up there, said 16-year-old Tom Gant. I feel I was a lot better off before I went. Uh, awoken at 4.30 a.m. for meditation. Uh, being assigned kitchen duty until 11 p.m. Other children came on this same regimen were very dissatisfied. Um, one girl refused to do a pile of dishes. Uh, Arthur Hempel came into her room to slap her around. When she said her probation officer told her no one could hit her, Hempel told her, say one word to your probation officer and I will break your jaw. 
The children were struck and beat until they agreed to work. Jeez. Which, okay. Now, Hempel specifically cited synonym, but like, from what you could tell, there weren't overt, like, bureaucratic connections to synonym, right? It was just like he was saying, it, this is like synonym? Um, the facility he wanted to open seven years before he did get his actual compound, uh, he said that it would have the style of attack therapy that was employed at Synanon. And I think, I think that if there was a bureaucratic connection, it was through Napa and Mendocino State Hospitals in California, um, which employed that same style of attack therapy. Which attack therapy, like, is so nightmarish. Like, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but isn't, like, essentially what Ted Kaczynski went through, basically, attack therapy? Like, I think I don't that think was the Henry Murray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's just, they just scream at you everything wrong with you uh for protracted periods and even will like beat people who don't like admit to some sort of psychological failing um yeah i mean would you say that people who go through synanon stuff are brainwashed i mean i feel like whatever academic studies like founded those relevant technologies were definitely interested in finding brainwashing right or like something akin to it
know. That guy. But, okay, if, maybe we should, I should start again at this brainwashing thing, because there's this crazy quote, if I can read it. Um, one of the, the members, because, again, like, whether or not this was a last-ditch stop for, like, foster youth or a religious cult is really ambiguous, and nobody really seems to know. But one of the adult members who lived there was quoted as saying, there's no mind control. Oh, wait, no, sorry. This was uh, Arthur Hempel. He said, there's no mind control at Christ's circle. It has a life of its own. I have not built an organization dependent on me. It can function for itself. I am superfluous. One of the adult members, though, I think it was even the same article. Uh, she said, if Arthur Hempel told me to plant strawberries on top of a mountain, I would do it. <laughs> what a weirdly specific, like, like <laughs> yeah, I would probably do that if anyone told me. That sounds nice. <laughs> not even super effective mind control it's like they can get them to do one thing also like anytime you are like hearing the phrase we're not a cult we're not doing <laughs> mind control this is not a ponzi scheme like you're already on really <laughs> rocky ground you just start to think well why are you bringing that up um yeah but anyway he he got kicked out of the santa cruz site in 1978 uh this article calls it a controversial school which okay sure um, it alleges Christ Circle has been operating without license for a community care facility for children. That violation has gone on since 1978. Uh, it also claims there are violations of state law, which prevents a pattern of physical abuse of children. Um, it charged that a locked metal gate, which guards the entrance, may impede fire or rescue vehicles. It claims that the school is caring for children who need close medical supervision for diabetes and paraplegia. Um, Jeez. Yeah, and it claims that 23 adults named in the Christ Circle Corporation. So it was a really big bureaucracy, I guess. I guess there was some 23 administrators involved. And it's alleged that they were making it a conduit for transaction of their own private businesses. Um, Whomst among us. <laughs> what I wonder what industry they were in. Um, I guess cosmetology. But yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, the cult shuts down uh, in around... 80 something after a bunch of zoning disputes and Arthur Hempel uh he takes it on the run and what he ends up doing is kidnapping two of the children that I think they were the son of a woman who was involved in Christ Circle now uh, where, yeah. where where do they where does he take them uh on the, the Gladio tour um no he took them through uh uh Italy Austria Malta and they were recovered in London in 1983. Um, What's that? Never what was that? Was that Malta? <laughs> Malta. <Fun. laughs> who among us? Who among us has not? You know that place that is a completely normal place to go. That's not just like a rocky island that is full of spies. I always go there when I am taking kidnapped children of my cult member. Um, yeah, he oh, was geez. he was never charged for the kidnapping, which of course crossed international lines for over two years uh i think the boys were actually i think the boys were actually returned in australia but i'm not australia sure. huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so he moved his cult around for a while i think he was eventually arrested but um now yeah. what is what is this with they, they were on the cover of life magazine um that is closely related but mm. not the same okay. um yeah i see yeah this is like a big, see, it's all coming together. Uh, we talked earlier about Theodore Sarbin, Dr. Teddy Sarbin, and uh, the identification of children with 
like like kind of like really early predictive policing, I guess, topics for, for kids, identifying kids with emotional, social problems that would cause them to become criminals. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not the only time that idea came to Santa Cruz because uh, in 19, I think 1966, uh, again, a random guy with a very weird backstory popped up at another school board in Santa Cruz County. And like, this is not a giant area. It's not, there's still only 60,000 people in the city of Santa Cruz and that's today. Um, but at, at the San Lorenzo Valley uh, school board, which is a lot closer to where the Christ circle stuff was happening. It's much more like in the mountains. Um, a man named Bob Carey proposed bringing EEG and alpha wave monitoring devices to classrooms at San Lorenzo Valley School, which is an integrated high school. It's elementary through high school. Um, He was their quote unquote youth specialist. And uh, he brought this quoting uh, Orwellian. They called (laughs) it Orwellian. (laughs) Um, He brought a proposal to monitor kids' brainwaves to see which of them would become violent. Um, He said, it is not a programming device. It is a measuring device. Uh, a brainwave feedback system measures. You cannot make robots out of children, nor can you make robots out of them by measuring their brainwaves with a device. That quote just sounds like some skit from like the whitest kids you know. Like, <laughs> it's just so me when I'm not trying to ro- make children robots. Good Lord. That's just, that's just what I say when I'm not doing anything bad. Um, yeah, so it's kind of the reverse of an Arthur Hempel situation, I guess, where he popped mm-hmm. up as this random like school board defiant worker with crazy and kooky ideas for rehabilitation of dangerous children. What happened in the case of SLB youth specialist Bob Carey is that he was on the cover of Life magazine as the leader of the Mystic Arts Commune in Oregon uh, in the early 1960s. He was also like had been convicted of like some sort of criminal charge. Um, which is actually what got him fired from SLV school board. But he uh, was convicted of a criminal charge, started a cult slash commune uh, in the middle of Oregon, and then somehow pops up on a Santa Cruz County school school board proposing to do something really fucking weird. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. It's the same trajectory, just in a different order, I guess. Yeah, the Life magazine cover says, the youth commune's new ways of living confronts the U.S. Which, again, like... <laughs> I, like I don't even know what to say about that like it's just um, so weird I think it's also like I, you know I, I put this in the, in the thread but it's probably worth remembering that this was all happening at the same time as Ed Kemper, Herb Mullen and John Lindley Fraser um, yeah it was called the what was it called so the one that was proposed to have happened in the San Lorenzo Valley School District which is different from the Arthur Hempel thing although I guess not that different it was called the uh, Drug Dependent Minors Program and he proposed uh, basically what Arthur Hempel was doing, uh, provided for by the state of California educational department. Um, and it provides for students who are missing out on regular school because of their past or present involvement with drugs. Uh, it consists of three small rooms which have been contracted through to the next June located in the Santa Cruz mountains. According to SLVU specialist Bob Carey, the program is not confined to students dependent on drugs, but to any student who has lost academic standing through involvement with drugs to a degree that threatens their schooling. Um, yeah. Now, you gotta you gotta hit the home run. Now you gotta bring it on back <laughs> to Ed Kemper. <laughs> yeah, 
And when Fraser. I saw that, I was just like, <laughs> she has to come on the show. Has to. Oh my God. Because two of the most dangerous juvenile offenders in the history of Santa Cruz County were John Lindley Fraser and Ed Kemper. And Herbert Mullen was a juvenile who had been raised in Santa Cruz as well. He went through the Santa Cruz County school system. The only one who didn't was Ed Kemper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hermola was actually, I think he was a graduate of Soquel High School. So, <laughs> yeah, I think just like we said, Santa Cruz has the best track record of treatment of its, of its, of its juvenile offenders. And uh, the fact that these programs were operating just as two of those juvenile offenders were kind of coming into their own in a very macabre way. Um, I mean, I'm sure that they had done so well in the past. They were like, we just got to keep funding this and do it even freakier this time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I put my NPR hat on, it just goes to show we need to fund these programs even more because clearly the system failed these three young men. Let's do it again. <laughs> this time, let's bring two. Let's bring cult leaders and, and make that make that mm-hmm. just happen. Yeah. Um, so, I, I guess. It also like it kind of makes you think that Theodore Sarbin was the one doing this juvenile predictive policing stuff in the 1950s, which is around when uh, Fraser went to juvie in '64, um, and I don't know when Kemper went to juvie, but he was he was pretty young. But yeah, he ended up at Tascadero. He was like in juvie a long ass time too. Oh yeah, like, they were whatever most of his like him. adolescence. But he was fine, and so he was free to go. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they applied their teachings of when a juvenile offender is free to go to the two. I just, to me, it's like two of them, two of these like cult leaders were like going up to school boards being like, I have a Mm -hmm. lot of money to do a lot of stuff to kids. And all the school board members are like, what the, can you like, what? (laughs) Like two of them. Mm. To me, there's actually kind of a separate home. Wait, sorry. No. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So yeah. The, SLV school district, which is where Bob Carey, the guy that was cult first and then predictive policing, um, he uh, was at SLV school district, which just this year, actually, um, I think something like several dozen kids uh, came forward to talk about a a systemic culture of sexual abuse that existed at at San Lorenzo Valley uh, Elementary through high school. Jeez. Yeah. And it was like, there's reports that it's been happening since the early 80s, uh, or late 80s, early 90s. Um, and actually, I knew one of the teachers named in the suit. And yeah, that motherfucker, uh, Mr. X, actually is the same. He's like the creepiest motherfucker I've ever met in my life. So. It's, it's so depressing how like anytime, like this happened in like at least one school that I knew of where it was just like the guy that you think is absolutely the guy who mm-hmm. like was doing shit and it's like people just know and it's just like oh cool so that's everybody just sort of knew i know and it was uh directly facilitated by the administration in the case of slv um one of the the teachers was convicted for domestic abuse and, and they let him keep teaching so uh you know i guess whatever program they were working on to uh, make things safer for children i guess it didn't go particularly well or perhaps it did <laughs> yeah whatever they were planning to do does sort of raise the question whether it's by design yeah Yeah. no but i was talking about the home run of the uh pueblo connection (gasps) oh my god i that's the real grand slam home run. oh my god that's the one where i was just like no No serial killers 
Um, actually, okay, I'm gonna rewind a little bit. So mm-hmm. Santa Cruz DA, our best friends who have traditionally never done anything wrong. Um, we didn't even talk about Peter Chang's connection to the foster system. Um, maybe oh, we can touch geez. on that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ed Kemper hung out at the jury room. And any of my locals, my locs, my, my uh, Santa Cruz locs will understand uh, the jury room is, it's not just like close to the courthouse. It's like across the street. It's right there. Um, it is where everybody, like if you worked at the courthouse in, in the in the seventies, you like went there after work. And that's where Ed Kemper befriended like the entire DA and police force of Santa Cruz because he just happened to hang out at this bar, which it's a sucky bar. It's, it's terrible, but he was just there because of course, I guess that was- Mindhunter loves to be like, oh, you see, serial killers like to be friends with cops because they have like this authoritarian murder thing. And it's more like, yes, that's true. Also, <laughs> they're work- kind of working with the cops sometimes. Yeah. And it's, I think, like, if you know about the jury room, which, like, it's such a weird and specific geographical feature that uh, the fact that I guess Douglas doesn't touch on it, I can't, I don't know if we can attribute that to him being like a liar bitch, which I think he is in almost every <laughs> other way. But yeah, the jury room, like you wouldn't just, to me personally, I would never go there under any circumstances. And not just because I'm some sort of like, you know, like I just, I just would never go there. It's not a good place to be. So the fact that Ed Kemper was there all the time is like, okay, well, or whatever. So yeah, Ed Kemper, like befriends the entire Santa Cruz DA, whatever. Um, and he goes through, uh, he, he does the murders and Ed Kemper, uh, for some reason, after he does a bunch of murders and he's, he's about to confess, he drives through Nevada and then ends mm-hmm. up in Pueblo, Colorado. And he goes into a, a phone booth, I think, and he gets on the phone. He's like, Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Sheriff, I'm so sorry for what I did. Please come get me. Please come get me. And the Santa Cruz cops are like, Ed, our bestie, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And he's like, I killed them. I killed all those people. Uh, yeah, I think. I don't know if the, the Pueblo cops come get him or Santa Cruz cops drive out to get him, but he, he calls the Santa Cruz cops from Pueblo, Colorado to confess all of his crimes. Um, and then uh, Arthur well, Hempel. Yeah, well, okay. yeah, I'm sorry. Nobody knows why he drove to Pueblo, Colorado of all places. That's like a big question mark. And I think even what, what, what did you call him? Like the lying bitch, John Douglas <laughs> is just like, yeah, nobody knows. That's what I'm going to ask. Just like, John Douglas put anything forth for why Ed Kemper would have stopped in Pueblo? Um, I have the book here. I can pull it up real quick. Okay. <laughs> Freaking John Douglas. Okay. So goofy. Let's see if it's in there. Remember when he was like, Ed Kemper was so smart. Here's so the smart. here's the passage from Mindhunter. Okay. <clears throat> well, okay. So Ed Kemper, yeah, he murders this lady and he I guess, yeah, so on Easter Sunday morning, Ed Kemper took off in his car, driving aimlessly eastward. He kept listening to the radio, expecting to have become a huge national celebrity, yet there was nothing. Outside of Pueblo, Colorado, dazed and exhausted from lack of sleep, disappointed that his grand gesture had not had more of an impact, he pulled over at a phone booth beside the road, called the Santa Cruz Police Department, and after repeated attempts to convince them he was telling them the truth, confessed to the murders and his identity as the co-ed killer. He then waited patiently as local police were dispatched to pick him up. Now, the way he says it, it's like Ed Kemper just driving wherever, just 
you know, driving aimlessly happens to drive to Pueblo, Colorado, which, you know, if you're from Santa Cruz, that's like a pretty, like, that's not where you would just end up if you were just driving aimlessly. I'm sorry. Yeah. Also Santa Cruz is it's on the coast. So you have to go through all of California um, to even approach Nevada, which is also through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So also I think Dave McGowan says he actually spent the night in Pueblo, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, probably like yeah. freaking lying bitch. Like, <laughs> lying. Go <laughs> uh, Douglas. Your days are okay. Um, no, his days are fine. Um, yeah, so anyway, I think we talked earlier about how Arthur Hempel uh, had developed his Jekyll and Hyde personality after going for psychiatric counseling and the place that he went for psychiatric counseling was Pueblo, Colorado mm-hmm. in 1964. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, he also at one point uh, moved his cult into Nevada and... Ed Kemper would make a stop in Nevada on his way to Pueblo. That's right. And then not that I'm saying it's completely related, but like a lot of like weird Ted Bundy stuff connects to Colorado too, where it's just like, what exactly is going on in Colorado with serial killers? Ted Bundy also like go back to Theodore Sarban. I mean, false memory syndrome foundation, Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Loftus. Like this was all one thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's like two separate assignments in a way. Yeah, anyways, so there was at least we have some confirmation that there was some sort of uh, psychiatric counseling in Pueblo, Colorado that made a criminal develop a Jekyll and Hyde personality where he wanted to formulate a technology of social control for troubled children. And it's where Ed Kemper happened to call the Santa Cruz police after he killed a bunch of people. That's right. <laughs> Right. Well, everybody, we, we solved the notes. Um, solved the case.
yeah i think that's all i have about that entire thing um but yeah. i think there's probably some loose ends. maybe we can talk about yeah i think there's a couple loose ends like for example you posted it's not a huge like rabbit hole but like they found a buried cache of child porn in the santa cruz hills yeah um so i feel like I, maybe i should have talked about this because not all of you are locs but um santa cruz is located but like it's, it's south of san francisco by 60-ish miles in on the the peninsula like the coast in between is um palo alto the, the silicon valley um and the border between silicon valley and, and santa cruz is los gatos which uh is mm. parts of it or like parts of the the area are still technically in santa cruz county and parts of it are in, are in santa clara county and um what year was it excuse me let me click on the article <laughs> Maybe I'm just avoiding talking about this because it's fucked up. Um, okay. Yeah, so in 2007, uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, but I think technically in Santa Clara County, uh, there was an engineer, um, some sort of senior engineer at a tech firm uh, in Silicon Valley um, was found with a hidden stash of child pornography buried in the ground. Uh, it had 750,000 uh, sexual abuse images of children, uh, and it was the largest child porn bust in Bay Area history. Uh, it was a guy named Michael F. Palmer, um, and he placed the collection in ammunition boxes uh, and buried it in the earth. Um, he was a high-tech engineer, and he pleaded not guilty to one felony count of possessing child pornography and was released on bail. Um, he could face up to 10 years in prison and convicted so he's definitely out now actually i think there's like some data aggregation website that shows him uh, still in the same area hmm. um today but uh, in the early 1990s and late 1980s public records show that palmer lived in sunnyvale in santa clara which is north of santa cruz and uh mitchell said there is no evidence that palmer ever molested anyone but she added investigators want to interview three boys Mitchell said Palmer was a member of several nudist groups and had access to children. Papers found at Palmer's Highland Way home in Los Gatos link him to NAMBLA. NAMBLA advocates for legalizing sex between adults and children. And then I think you also uh, cited that a lot of the images were from a nudist colony specifically, right? Yeah, they were from, uh, it doesn't specify what, but it says that there's like suspicious images from a nudist hippie camp uh, located in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Mm. Um, and the Santa Cruz Mountains are like very, they're, they're like expansive and, and they're densely forested. And it, it's not necessarily like one place. I mean, Ken Kesey had a mansion in the Santa Cruz Mountains and it was just like hidden out there like finally. Um, but the Santa Cruz Mountains is, it begins at Soquel, which is kind of where John and Lee Fraser uh, lived on his mom's compound with a bunch of random catalyst employees that happened to live together. Um, and then in, further up in Felton is also in the Santa Cruz Mountains. That's where uh, that cultural, countercultural outlet, the barn run by that San Quentin guy was. Um, and just in that entire area, there were also a lot of hippie communes that, that sprang up with the introduction of the university and how it kind of was linked in with that, that network of like beat poets and countercultural figures. Um, but one of the nudist camps located in the Santa Cruz mountains that received a lot of membership after the university opened, but actually 
predated it. Like I found one, it's, it's called Lupin Lodge and it's 20 minutes away from where the child porn bust happened. Um, and there was a quote from one of the leaders in the fifties where he said, um, the majority of our membership is composed of a family group. A husband or wife cannot join alone. Um, we don't expect to become universal. We're just like any other organization only without clothes. Um, so yeah, there was just, just a lot. And it was all in that one area. It was all kind of interlinked, uh, especially the Nambla connection, I think kind of directly links it to that sort of stuff that, that sprung up with the university during that era. Um, yeah, that's very bleak. <laughs> especially because I, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's been talked about on this podcast, but kind of like how that hippie countercultural group of people was the same people that ended up doing the, the tech boom in Silicon Valley and all the ensuing, you know, like how remote viewing parapsychology just became like satellite and stuff like that. So the yeah. fact that he was a high tech engineer at a Silicon Valley firm, keyed in with Nambla and like Santa Cruz Mountains nudist colonies. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, like I'm very interested in that, but other people have and are currently doing it. So I'm, you know, I like to tip my hat to their work, but I'm not on the same beat per se, but like, yeah, absolutely. There's confluence there. Yeah, me either. I think it's probably, it's just worth mentioning. And also like if anyone mm -hmm. is able to find where this guy is today, I don't even think he ever actually went to jail. So, To my listeners. <laughs> not do anything oh my god wait yeah no no vigilante oh my god <laughs> no vigilantism from serial chillers i might have but. to bleep out his name i don't know they maybe can or maybe you can just cut whatever i just said just cut maybe cut that he's out of jail but i do think it is kind of interesting that he probably never won so that's terrible um it is yeah. depressing how little time a lot of people actually do for shit like that oh yeah especially the largest in bay area i mean come on people uh, no yeah, yeah go ahead i was just gonna as long as we're on the topic of like santa cruz mountain hippie cults or whatever maybe we can like finish up with talking about some of the occult elements that were happening in the area absolutely mm. excuse me um one thing that i find a little, little goofy and interesting let me see if i can find it let me just take second no matches found for capitola in my newspaper that's fucking bullshit it is <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah okay so i think you you mentioned this like however long ago we've been speaking mm -hmm. um but the tate labianca like the the manson stuff had just happened um right before john lindley fraser you know supposedly sort of had an occult tarot whatever um motivation for the murder of the Ota family and uh in santa cruz before that like with everything that came with the university and all the hippies um there was like a lot of like hysteria happening among the people that live there or whether or not it can be called hysteria i guess there was um like a lot of concern with like the idea of satanic cults and this was even before the, yeah, the like, murders happened is it hysteria if there is if, if it was literally this is yeah so that's kind of like what i guess i did on twitter um you know you know it was like a little bit, bit i guess crazy or like gets out but whatever i was interested um because well the, the first place that i read about this was in the ultimate evil by 
Mari mm-hmm. Terry, but one of my pretty, you know, I guess inquisitive followers was like, should Mari Terry be trusted? I mean, I don't know if he can be trusted. I don't really know anything about him, but they were just like, maybe you should verify that. It's an open question, I would definitely say. Yeah, but the ultimate evil is just about process church and like how everywhere they went, there happened to be a lot of like dead dogs that would just turn up in like horrible, horrible ways. Um, yeah, a lot of mute, like generally killed dogs and then sometimes mutilated. And it was generally German shepherds when it was like the process church. Mm-hmm. Which it completely like coincidentally, did you see Joe Biden yeah. got a new dog? <laughs> yeah. Um, especially after the like, remember when Process Church made Clifford? That was like, yeah, that was so goofy. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, also, I remember this one someone was like tweeting about like the serious cult and and the name of like Joe Biden's dogs being like serious A and serious B, but I don't, I didn't read it because it was a little too complicated for me. I was like, I'm going to stick to my pay grade, which is newspapers.com. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also in, in program to kill Dave McGowan implies that in the Santa Cruz mountains, like the, uh, I think it was like a very fascistic, like white supremacist offshoot of process called the four pie cult mm-hmm. supposedly operating in the Santa Cruz mountains. Yeah. Um, was that the same as the, chingon or was that the yes yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah Um, and i haven't been able to find a ton about that not to say that it's wrong it's just like have you ever seen the movie mandy no No. oh you're gonna you gotta watch mandy (laughs) okay um but they sort of depict like a cult very similar possibly to like both Manson and some of these Santa Cruz like weirdos and it might be in the same it might be filmed in the same area but anyway I yeah I can't find that much about the this offshoot that supposedly existed um, me either um especially like wait, sorry let me sorry I'm trying to pull up one thing um yeah I just can't I couldn't find anything about it I could find like the guy that was arrested for it but i don't even know if he specifically mentioned santos so um it's not exactly clear but um you know i just kind of wanted to if, if somebody claims about my locality my county that there was a bunch of people wantonly murdering dogs it kind of makes you say are you sure <laughs> did that really happen it oh, sounds yeah. insane um but yeah sorry go ahead. The, the, no this this thread that you did it's like it's so funny but so awful but like Mm. i was like very um i was i was here for it yeah i mean not to like overshare but i i work with a lot of like maps and i was like maybe if i just like put this in an attribute table and can look at it as an attribute table we can see was this gotta work with your skill set i guess so i don't know i mean I, i just i was just like i can't like keep track of this in my little brain i have to look at it and I also, to be honest, I just wanted to see where they were reported and if it was near where John Lindley Fraser's house was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of was. Um, but yeah, but like leading up to, I guess, right after UCSC, but also just around that time period, um, a lot of people in the city and county, Santa Cruz, were like, somebody's got to do something about all these satanic cults. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, <laughs> Like not even, they weren't even just doing it because they thought they were just like, there's a ton of people living up there unregistered that are doing satanic cult shit. 
uh, and what, what's going on with that? And um, yeah, there was this movie put out. Have you heard of it? It's called Witchcraft 70. Mm, no. Um, it's, I guess it was this like mashed together kind of like found footage style of film that was put out in 1970 about witchcraft and like magical stuff like that. Um, and the city of Capitola had this one detective that was like the most outspoken, like anti-witchcraft like, guy in the county or whatever, um, who right after the Fraser murders was like, that was definitely, that was definitely that. Yep. That's what happened. Um, just immediately. Uh, but okay, let me quote for a second. Uh, the city of Capitola is undecided on what kind of stand it will take on Witchcraft 70, a movie dealing with the occult. We are looking into it. Uh, he says <laughs> he is in no position to evaluate the challenge or the, the chances of legal action against the film. Uh, Capitola Police Lieutenant Dave Esty uh, figures prominently in the film as he delivers warnings against the increasing use of narcotics, the spread of witchcraft, and the link between the two. He's carried on a long-standing campaign against narcotics and has noted the strong connection between drugs and witchcraft. He agreed to deliver a warning against witchcraft since the movie people assured him it would be an educational documentary. It turned out to be a trash movie. There's a very little documentary. It's an X-rated sex movie. Capitola officials are disturbed over more than Estee's appearance in the film. The movie hints that Capitola, um, it's the fourth city in the county. It's uh, just south of Santa Cruz. The movie hints that Capitola is a center of drug abuse and witchcraft practice. He feels Dave Estee was taken advantage of. He made an honest presentation and it was twisted to misrepresent what he was doing. It was junk. It was tasteless. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's a little silly, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, there was this, I guess, movie that came out where Capitola police lieutenant was like, definitely some weird witchcraft shit happening. Hmm. yeah and that's the funniest thing too because it's just like okay i'm not exactly a fan of the police i know a lot of people some of my listeners will probably sympathize but it's just like not everything they say is the exact opposite like if they're just like yeah there's like a bunch of <laughs> satanists like it's kind of a problem like it's not that they're necessarily like lying <laughs> I think it's a little, I mean, to me, it's kind of suspicious that he's like, you have to stop doing narcotics and also doing witchcraft. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, especially because, like, I think a lot of the, my, one of my, like, personal, like, I, not theories, but just, like, one of the things that I think contributed to serial, or, like, was maybe one of the underguiding, undergirding practice, or, like, beliefs of the serial killer hysteria. It's kind of like the tough on crime stuff that was happening and all the people that, that benefited from that that were also, yeah. like, you wrong contra crazies and whatever um they weaponized the fear of it for sure oh yeah especially in santa cruz like there was like people were like freaked out like the gun ownership thing and just like people were, like everything changed overnight our small community it's funny that this always happened in tiny little communities where nobody locked their door <laughs> I'm like, you know okay. it's funny because like i just re like i just rewatched sicario and i'm gonna like talk about it with dimitri i think which mm -hmm that'll probably be recorded already you know whatever mm -hmm. and the end movie i don't know if you've seen sicario like it's not no. okay it's it's just about like the mexican drug cartels basically and the end scene the last like monologue it's like the hitman talking to an fbi agent and he was just like this is the future now. This is a land of wolves, blah, blah, blah. Like you should go to a small town where the rule of law still exists. And it's just like, 
that like that's just like a freaking psyop to like <laughs> freak out people in, in small towns and like oh 100 it's actually it's kind of funny because i mean this might be too out there but i was watching this video on youtube about in prep for this about the site selection for ucfc and one mm-hmm. of the the things that they were talking about was specifically how small and how old the population of santa cruz was and like the chamber of commerce kept begging them to be like please come here everybody's gonna die please (laughs) (laughs) help (laughs) um like give us money but that's kind of funny i mean you know if a a small town chamber of commerce makes it clear to you that everybody is like old and it's really like nothing's happening here it's almost like an early version of like people like different cities begging for amazon to come yeah but then it's like when you find out who actually runs the chamber of commerce it's not the humble humble (laughs) citizens of (laughs) yeah you know it's like whatever the Hearst family yeah it's a a 33rd degree freemason who sold his newspaper (laughs) to dow jones also like just to i guess to disclaim the santa cruz sentinel was owned by a uh, third generation old money mf and 33rd degree scottish freemason whose whose son i think wrote hip hop or owned hip pocket bookstore or like was one of the people involved in hip pocket bookstore so maybe my sources are not perhaps there was some screening that happened some of these articles but who knows i'm not a i'm not a a, a hysteric um okay so anyway yeah there was a police chief and capitola uh mr sv who was like there's a lot of like satanic shit happening and whatever um, and then Maury Terry was like, oh, Santa Cruz, like there was a lot of like dead dogs that kept turning up. And I was like, that doesn't sound like true. That isn't like how many like dogs are murdered all the time. Um, well, <laughs> you know, we know UCSC was founded in 1965 mm-hmm. in October. And the first acid test was November 27th in SoCal in 1965. And then uh, on December 7th, 1965, December 11th, 1965, and December 22nd, 1965, and December 31st, 1965. Uh, In Scotts Valley, these were like some of the only incidents that were kind of close to where the John Lindley Fraser murders actually took place. But in the middle of the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, on a really remote stretch of road in Scotts Valley, um, this boxer Pepper was kidnapped, completely skinned, and left on the front porch. And then, in, on, in the case of December 11th, uh, a golden hair boxer was found half skinned on its right side, returned to its owners, and it had to be put down. Um, in the December 22nd incident, a dog was murdered and then skinned. And then on December 31st of 1965, uh, a man who lives in Scotts Valley found his dog dead of steroid poisoning. Um, hmm. And then you're like, well, okay, well, four skin dogs, like, oh, that's, it, it happens, I guess. Um, but then in 1967, on December 15th, a 45 pound dog was found completely skinned and completely alive when it was returned and had to be put down. On December 21st of 1967, which is the we're recording on the 21st, so like that's scary. But yeah, the winter solstice of 1967, uh, a dog was found wandering outside her home. Uh, she was skinned on her right side and she had to have 17 stitches. Um, and then in, in 68 and 69, 
uh, five dogs were found with their stomachs cut open, wandering around uh, a West side neighborhood in the central, like central city part of Santa Cruz near the boardwalk, um, including a Doberman, uh, its stomach. And this was near, uh, actually one of them was found on April 20th of 1969. Um, and one was found on April 6th of 1969. Yeah. And it, its stomach was like hanging out of its stomach. Um, and then on December 14th, 1969, a boy, uh, near, the newly opened Harbor High School in Santa Cruz uh, said he saw five hippies dancing around uh, a car near a highway overpass uh, with with dead dogs that were like skinned alive on the hood or something. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh man, uh, whatever. Okay, that's the '60s. Creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So August twenty seventh or twenty eighth of of nineteen seventy. Um, two rabbits and three bunnies. Uh, listeners may know what the difference is. I do not. Um, but they, they were found skinned and or mutilated. One of them had their leg crushed uh, in August of 1970. Um, and they belonged to a resident in downtown Santa Cruz. And then, of course, uh, about a month after, 12 skinned and beheaded rabbits were found outside of Juvenile Hall. Just before the murders that John Lindley Frazier, supposedly, or I guess did. Um, and then in 1972, in the middle of Scotts Valley, they found a bunch of skin cats found near the tunnel where the John Lindley Fraser car was abandoned and also near where the, the, the Mullen and Kemper burial site was uh, in Zionte, which is near Felton. Um, and then finally, in 1974, in, uh, in Watsonville, which is South County, um, closer to Capitola, the, the police found uh, like an entire, over like two weeks, they found skinned dogs skinned calves it's an agricultural community so there was definitely farms nearby uh skinned dogs skin calves mutilated goats a goat skull uh and two more skinned dogs and this was in december of 1974 and then it all just kind of stopped after that interesting that there were like periods like hot periods and then just nothing because if it was just like an ambient or natural phenomenon like every once in a while someone skins a dog you'd think that it would be like more regular right mm -hmm. i mean i'm not a data scientist right but no i'm no steminist <laughs> but mm -hmm. um the especially in 65 and, and 67 uh, and then again in 69 and 74 um it was either weeks before or on the winter solstice or on near halloween like it was i mean you know if you're gonna buy into the hypothesis yeah. That people were skinning dogs and doing it for ritualistic purposes, especially in those early years of the counterculture. It was on the winter solstice that these dogs were murdered or found. So real Mari Terry shit. Yeah, I mean that. So that's why I was, you know, talking. I, I mean, you know, no one's like, I'm not going full. I'm not. I, I I like to think I'm a little bit radical centrist about that type of thing, but. Um, I think it's something to be looked at. And again, like this all started right after everything else we talked about. I mean, the university, mm -hmm. the Mary Pranksters, the uh, like, yeah, just all of it was at the same time. It was within a two month period when I Santa mean, Cruz they... transforms from this like old money aristocratic town of boomers. I guess not. They weren't boomers at the time. But yeah, it's like a bunch of five. It's like five people that are millionaires running a town of old people. And then suddenly all this. Yeah, where they're specifically studying 
juveniles with criminal violent behavior. <laughs> and then of course serial killers happen. Like yeah. you know how like in the court of public opinion sometimes the thing that if anyone knows anything about satanists it might be that they're fucking lame and that they also you know care about free speech and you know like mm-hmm. they try to put up the baphomet statue to make some nebulous point about freedom of religion right yeah and they're like wow actually it's mostly a group that advocates for free speech you know like that kind of thing i just thought how we can win i mean i, I don't know if i'll loop you in I, I'm, I'm not sure if you'll co-sign on this but for me and the like some of my followers the way we can win in the court of public opinion against the satanists is to insist that the anti like satanists are the ones that kill dogs yeah because you've exhaustively proved that (laughs) between that and mari terry like there are waves of dog killings that are probably related i'm just saying i'm brainstorming it no i think you know and and uh this is how we win um one one thinks that the (laughs) the reddit atheist crowd that would be like the only alternative to a total ban on abortion by the United States government would be the Church of Satan providing abortions due to freedom of religion. And this is a reasonable dichotomy to have that type of like mm-hmm. soy faceism, if I may, uh, might be, they'd be like, oh, the, the, the abuse of foster children I can't excuse, but the doggos is where I draw the line. Exactly. Those like borderline sociopaths who really care about dogs, like they would not co-sign that. So oh, hell no. Yeah, I think this is why this is what was so important about my my night of what the hell is going on. Um, <laughs> honestly, like the reason that I got so into it to defend my my goofiness a little was just like, how, could this really have happened that many times? Mm-hmm. And only during this period, I thought I would find either you know like a ton of dog killers doing a ton of horrible shit. Not UCSE opens, Ed Kemper stops killing people, and everything just happens and stops at the same time. Um, yeah you'd think there'd be like yeah exactly that's so weird and like who fucking skins a dog like i could understand like i'm not obviously co-signing killing dogs but like why the fuck would you mutilate a dog like that's so much weirder even and it's so horrible and then returning it to its owner like that's just like i don't know that's incomprehensible levels of cruelty yeah it's like there's just this like it's pure it's pure sadism like wanting to enact such a horrible I, which i guess it stems from the same whatever cruel impulses would beat foster children for not doing the dishes at your compound yeah. like just wanting to hurt the most defenseless creatures purely for the sake of hurting them so pretty fucked up um yeah wait actually before we like wrap up can i touch mm-hmm. on, the, on the let's talk do you want to talk about the foster system one more time i think i told you about peter chang yeah yeah let's do it uh so again, like we just finished talking, I guess, about the 1965 to 74 period where like dogs getting murdered, acid happening everywhere. And my wife is not going to like this episode. Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> is she like, oh man. I'm so She's sorry. the person who like pulls up, like does the dog die.com to like <gasps> check a movie before it. <laughs> oh my God. No. This is a oh useful tool, by the way. And that's terrible because your 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 you guys your little your little baby just just I came know out. we just oh got a little dog. <laughs> Told her. Oh my god. 
that's terrible. Um, okay. So oh my god, that your dog is I whenever you post pictures of her, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. more. Um, so cute. Such a she's also seems as dumb as my dog, which like validates mm-hmm. how fucking my dog's fucking like inbred and stupid. Okay. Um yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is also just like having it just makes you think like who the fuck could possibly do this to an animal okay i know <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh for mrs falangong hope she hope she's okay um all of this horrible shit is happening but this is like i think by 19 like 88 or something ucsc actually changes its character like quite a bit um it was something called i forget what the reforms were called but it basically changed ucsc from like a no grades come here and do acid be in the redwoods to like a Steminist to like please do computer <laughs> science and genome. I just realized what you were saying, Steminist. That's really funny. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I like thank I've never you. heard that. So <laughs> it's my favorite. It's like one of my favorite girl bosses of uh, like Elizabeth Holmes's. Mm. Um yeah, but so Santa Cruz becomes like the I guess the STEM girl boss university, and it still kind of has that character in many ways. Like the human genome project uh began at Santa Cruz. Um like the uh oh my gosh there's something else like some sort of like really important computer science thing happened at santa cruz uh, a lot of stuff like that uh their mm-hmm. marine biology program is really preeminent these days uh no disrespect to my slugs but uh yeah so after all this like peter chang pops up again um and it's because he is trying to run for da but he's also getting arraigned for witness tampering at the same time and of course the newspaper was this was like that just means he's a go-getter that's he was a girl boss. <laughs> yeah i know he was like i don't care they'll still reelect me um he had a turbulent few years let me just say he like became an alcoholic and like his wife left him okay peter um yeah <laughs> so in 1990 he springs up again because he's being arraigned on witness tampering charges because he uh was defending this i guess like foster mom from uh Coralitas, which is like rural santa cruz county near watsonville um, she had an adopted foster child that, like, he was he was 12 or something, and she, like, uh, coerced him into, like, having sex with her. And Peter Chang was defending this woman. And not only did he, like, sleep with her in suppose I mean, she says that he assaulted her, which he denies. So I'm just saying allegedly, I guess. So mm. program to chill doesn't get sued. But, like, I mean, I be- I'm inclined to oh, believe her. Oh, I have a drop for that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? Allegedly parody. Do not sue Jimmy. <laughs> I can't wait for you to be named in, in legal documents by <laughs> the, the goofiest pseudonym um, yeah. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's so ridiculous. Um, yeah, okay. So anyway, Peter Chang, uh, he is defending this lady. And I guess because, I don't know, who knows why he did this, but the child, he, he gave the child a plane ticket to Hawaii, uh, Maui, and he gave the child instructions on how to get a fake social security card and passport once he went to Hawaii. Uh, and he was like, just get the hell out of here and never come back. Um, the foster child did not end up leaving for Hawaii. He testified against Peter Chang. Um, I felt, I felt horrible for the kid reading the articles actually, because the mom actually like the foster mom got away with it. And the kid was like I love her like it was horrible horrible just like treatment of a child that and obviously I mean it was like a nobody was like reporting on it as actual sexual abuse I don't because of like the dynamic or whatever but yeah uh so basically Peter Chang tried to pay a foster child to uh, run away to Hawaii um and yeah now his son works for the office of, of naval research by the way so Peter Chang's son 
Peter Tankstein. Interesting. Yeah. So that's just an addendum, I guess. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And just probably one of the very last things I'll say would just be like, you did a thread on like Synanon basically. And the, they basically do stress positions, trauma, abuse, sleep deprivation, temperature, drugs, withholding food, and they would play looped tapes, all of mm -hmm. which are basically brainwashing. So Synanon troubled teen site, like rehab sites are basically brainwashing. And the oh, yeah. thing is they were run by like fucking cults in like the seventies, but now they're run by like insurance companies. Oh my. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Synanon, Synanon wasn't for teens originally, but yeah. what ended up happening, I think you probably already like listeners might know this, but Elon school was one of the first prototypical sites of like this torture of children, essentially troubled children. Mm -hmm. um, and it opened in, I think Maine and it was run by, a Harvard psychologist and Synanon drug counselor. It almost, because it like succeeded and was open for so long, it was almost the successful version of what was happening in the Santa Cruz mountains. Um, yeah. yeah. And now yeah. like also this entire, like the troubled teen industry and like what happens to children. I mean, children are like essentially the sites, this was like, I mean, I guess they were bigger in the nineties, but it, it totally still happens. Dr. Phil still sends kids to these like brainwashing sites mm -hmm. but like the, the parents will get scaremongered into thinking their child is gonna like die of marijuana and they'll uh like hire a con private contractor that comes to the house and like fakes kidnapping the kid mm -hmm. um, and then takes them to this compound where they're relentlessly brainwashed using tactics that were developed you know uh, for th these are like these were didn't spring up out of nowhere they just they were you know fed to these institutions by larger projects potentially even those non mpl germine control experiments that I think you touched on earlier. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and like, we know, obviously, like, there's Paris Hilton, but I recently, I think you might have said, uh, Chet Hanks also went to one of these programs. Yeah. And now he's White Boy chaos. Summer himself. <laughs> he, yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, I, I feel like that's almost like giving into the, the QAnon mommy bloggers because Tom Hanks is like a pretty, Mm -hmm. big figure to a lot of those circles but yeah you're so right that just like now they're run by insurance company and also like no, not to shit on you but like utah mm -hmm. no was... i used to live by one actually oh really oh my yeah. god i never really saw any anyone but like i knew exactly where it was wow. they had horses of all things i don't know was it um majestic ranch no, it wasn't oh. one of the bigger ones because there's oh, okay. like a really big one that like I think Paris Hilton went to and some of the other celebrities mm -hmm. who talk about it. But like the, the one that I lived by was like a lot smaller. So, but it was like in the same network and like associated with that bigger camp that Ugh. it's cited in like the documentaries. Yeah. Well, I also I think just like what we talked about today is definitely, I mean, it's I don't know if it's definitive. I, nothing's definitive, but it's kind of proof of what these facilities were keyed into you know yeah and it does raise questions about any celebrities who might have gone to them like i'm sure there's other celebrities that i haven't mentioned that might perhaps be subject to these types of things yeah and also i think it's i mean it, first of all it stretches like the imagination that no celebrity a celebrity parent wouldn't know mm -hmm. like what happens here and why 
um, to be honest. But uh, also, uh, I think it's probably worth noting. I mean, this kind of is like a little Dave McGowany, but when you think about what is what he propo like proposes about trauma's effects on children, there were quite a few people that come out of these places that end up uh, murdering people, mm -hmm. like Paradise Cove in two thousand five. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a connection to later adult violence when you're going through, and wouldn't you know, attack therapy and these types of things don't actually seem to be very good rehabilitators. Yeah. So why they were studied so intensely. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really depressing, but I think it's just mm -hmm. about all I have to say. Yeah. Oh, man. I, mean, I wish there was something more fun. I think everybody should go um, to Santa Cruz. Oh, wait, there is something fun, mm -hmm. a little. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things, we talked about Robert Anton Wilson being in Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. and uh, Crypto Cuttlefish was like, they have all these really good threads from 2016 about Robert Anton Wilson kind of deliberately fucking up, if I may, Thomas Pynchon's insights into like intelligence stuff. Mm, yeah. And Thomas Pynchon, uh, he lived in Santa Cruz County supposedly during the 1990s, and supposedly he really liked upper crust pizza in Santa Cruz. Yeah, I saw that. You And so you said that Pynchon had good taste in pizza. It's a good pizza place. It's also kind of, it's funny because in Vineland, which he was supposedly writing mm -hmm. from this county, uh, he was like, Zoe Wheeler was a certified pizza maniac. So I think <laughs> it, it kind of does make you wonder like why he came here during that time. But maybe that's for a smarter listener than me to figure out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I like to believe in people and i like to believe that there might be someone in our camp somewhere in the world but <laughs> <laughs> so i'm holding out hope but i am generally pretty skeptical on stuff like stanley kubrick was in our camp like i don't know oh you yeah know, like I, mm. uh but like if it's not thomas if thomas pension's not on our side then like we're truly fucked so genuinely uh, screwed i'm i'm if he's not then i'm not smart enough to know so fuck it like mm -hmm. whatever I'll continue to amble along, I guess. I love every time he talks about food and he seems to talk about <laughs> pizza a lot and it always sounds really good. So that's cool. Yeah, maybe it was just a genuine love for the art. So yeah. He was Italian just... ex Thomas Pynchon. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I think that's all I have. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, really good stuff. Um, so I guess, do you have any anything you'd like to tell the listeners on the way out and then also uh if you want to plug anything of course um hmm. i actually you know i remember during this was like a weird semester for me and i was listening to something that you said on the subliminal jihad podcast you were just like lift weights buy a gun and do your best and i was like that's like weirdly <laughs> insightful so i'm just endorsing i guess the serial chiller mindset uh of going to the gym and reading a book um, I don't, I don't have anything to plug, but please follow me on Twitter, uh, if you want, because it's a good follow. sometimes, yeah, sometimes I, I tweet stuff and I'm like, I found out Synanon and nobody reads it. <laughs> I have to quote tweet myself again and it's pathetic. So you all should, uh, you know, yeah. I'm not and saying that you, you should give wanna... me the attention I deserve, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking around, but yeah, yeah, my Twitter is where I do most of this stuff. So my other social media is a little embarrassing. So I would just only endorse my Twitter to be honest. And if you don't want to sign up for Twitter, go to your local library and just look it up <laughs> and follow 
her threads anyway because they're really good stuff so yeah donate to your local library is my other message uh mm, yeah i second that for sure yeah okay All thank right. you for so much for having me on i love this podcast so much i think the <laughs> listeners are i think we're a, i just it's such a good podcast i'm so excited that i got to come on 